Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In my 27 years as a Victorian policewoman, I investigated everything from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. Policing taught me a lot about human nature, which I explore in my podcasts with a variety of fascinating guests discussing the human side and impact of crime, not only on their lives, but mine as well. My podcasts are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. If you find yourself affected by my subject matter, please contact Lifeline or any other support service or person that you feel comfortable with. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs and not everyone will agree with them. I understand that and I hope you do too. Thank you should be introduced to the recruits and say, look, it's all not a bed of roses, but you've got to extend it not just to the recruits, but to their family and their close friends. They are the ones that are going to identify the changing people before the person who's affected will either recognise it and or admit it. And they need to make an undertaking that when they see that the person's going downhill, that they provide the circuit breaker to get them some help. So today is part two, uh, and for now, (laughs) the final part of my interview with Robin Rob Bailey, a celebrated former Victorian policeman who retired at the rank of Chief Inspector just a few years ago now, I think. (laughs) Last week, Rob took us through an incredibly complicated, complex investigation he was in charge of when he was at the Fraud Squad, which involved a plethora of fraudulent insurance claims, false personal injury claims, kickbacks, and many, many more twists and turns. I know I can recall him saying that more than 17 individuals were charged and some uh, served a significant time in jail. Rob was a detective for many years, including time at the armed robbery squad. And Rob was there in the days when banks were being held up constantly by armed defenders who'd think nothing of shooting innocent people who got in their way just so that they could escape or maybe grab a payroll. He was involved in many high-profile investigations, including being a vital and seriously injured witness to the Russell Street bombing outside the police station in March of 86. Uh, He was part of an Australian peacekeeping mission for the 1974 Turkish invasion of Cyprus. Uh, He's authored a book called So You Want 
want to be a policeman, eh? And so much more, uh, which would just take up too much time to go through. This week, Rob continues with some of his amazing stories. He's quite a storyteller, isn't he? Not surprisingly, Rob, like so many other police, will share how he still bears the mental scars of his time as a policeman and his service in Cyprus. And he's become a fierce advocate for those who don't have a voice or can't find one. And I thought it was interesting that Rob believes many deaths of police veterans may not be as innocuous as initially determined, which is why he's so passionate in reaching out to members who've retired. They're often broken and never having admitted to their families or loved ones, let alone themselves, that the job has damaged them. And look, I said last week, and I'll repeat it, but my last question to Rob today It really stopped me in my tracks. I don't know what I was expecting when I asked if there was a particular investigation that he was proud of, but I know, I am sure it will affect you the same as it did me. I have no doubt Rob will be back because this man is a master storyteller with more stories than you can poke a stick at. But then, you know, after 30 years as a policeman, you know, it'll do that. Anyway, have a great week. Enjoy part two of uh, Rob Bailey and we'll talk to you next week. See ya. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about a passion of yours, uh, police veterans and mental health of veterans and police in general. Um, can you tell us, because you're very involved in, in that side of things, can you tell us a little bit about your efforts um, uh, to help veterans and where that all started? Yeah, well, originally and up until about three years ago, I worked with the DVA as a, as a peer support officer, which I did for several years. And, um, and four or five years ago now, I decided we really should have the same sort of um, structure for Victoria Police. So I started working on uh, a plan to do that, which was basically based on the uh, – you know, the uh, process by Veterans Affairs DVA, which is a really good program. It's really, really good. Mm. And unbeknownst to me, a friend of yours, Vicky Key, was doing exactly the same thing. I was over in the eastern suburbs. She was in the western suburbs, and by chance we met. And I'm not sure how that happened, but we sat down and we we compared notes and we thought, well, we're both doing the same thing. And mm. um, so we, we actually sat down and, and I did a um, – I did a bit of a brief on it and a business plan and as a result of that business plan, we needed some money and I think it was, I can't remember, but I think it was about $16,000 set up costs, which we didn't have, of course. So John Laird's a very good friend of mine and John was the president of the Victoria Police Association at that time and I went and saw Jeff and I explained what we were doing, gave him a copy of the business plan and he said money will be in the bank next day and it was and no further, he said if you need photocopying and all those sorts of uh, infrastructure setups before you get going we'll use the police association so that was really good mm. now, I didn't continue on with that for much longer and I think um, and Vicky became unwell or her husband became unwell I'm sure she won't mind me mentioning that so we both opted out of that and um, Mr McGowan took over that or some other people now McGowan who's doing a very good job but but yes. I have I have an issue with um, we've got as I call it uh, um, 
we've got a lot of eggs boiling here. We've got RPA, uh, Retired Police Association. We've got Police Legacy. We've got the Police Association and we've got the uh, Police Veterans Association. And we've got four little eggs boiling away and what we really want is an omelette. And um, and, I, and they're all competing for, the, basically, apart from the Police Association, they're all competing for the same funds and and all essentially doing the same thing. So I think that that's really bad. I had a meet, meeting with Lex, uh, Lex DeMann, who's the head of the Legacy. Oh, man. yeah. Yep. And good, yep. good guy, Lex, and he was an ex-Fraudy. He's an ex-Fraudy. And, um, and I had a meeting with him, and, and what became obvious to me is that they're all very protective of their own little nest egg well not a nest egg they're of their own yeah, association yeah. and yeah, and yeah. they're proud of what they do and they do a great job individually they do a great job but why it's not one effort i've got no idea i really don't um and i obviously met with david mcgowan a few times and and i voiced what i thought was there i actually um i actually remodeled their whole website because it was well it wasn't good let's put it that way and mm. so mm. i actually spent a, a few days remodeling that and that's the one you see now which which is really good, but um, mm-hmm. somehow or other we lost contact and um, I'm not sure why. Maybe because of my forthrightness in terms of how things should fit together rather than be competitive because that's what it is. Um, yeah. you, make, you make a lot of sense there, Rob, because they are in their own right, they are fantastic organisations, mm. but, but in the end... What they're doing, and correct me if I'm wrong, is they are looking after veterans, veterans' families, um, and, yeah, particularly like I've uh, interviewed Lex and I've interviewed um, Dave, and, yes, I would agree that they are um, leaders in their field, but Mm. their field could be combined. Yes, I get exactly what you mean. Mm. Well, if you join it all together, you've got a, a big bucket of talent, and uh, and they could mm. then they could then ex- expand their operations to do a lot of things they're not doing. I mean, for example, Legacy do a great job in looking after um, veterans' uh, uh, wives and um, deceased um, widow. I mean, widows. And you've got the police have got the same model as DVA. Uh, out in the districts, I think they've got over twenty now out in the district, which is fantastic. And you've got the retired police association, which pretty much Phil Parsons does a great job as well. He's been there a long time, but they don't actually do what needs to be done. With all due respect, they they, in my view, they scratch the surface, and they do it, and they do a great job of scratching the surface. But we should be investing more into um, the follow up. For ex- for example. Um, Okay, we, we, we do counselling these people, not so much legacy, but certainly the other two, where they attend funerals, like RPA attend funerals and do all that sort of stuff, and they, they do a little manuscript each time about who's been sick and how they're going, and it's all really well, and it's it's a very well-read, the RPA Gazette, it's a very well-read Gazette, and it's great for connecting people and all that sort of stuff, but we, none of this takes it far enough. Um, mm-hmm. Like the retired... Um, uh, retired police veterans, they have mentoring programs where they send out their peer officers, which are they're very well trained, and they they look after people in so far as their their health and making sure that they've got to support and all that sort of stuff. But what the veterans really need is an ongoing opportunity for engagement in the community and for working opportunities, volunteering opportunities themselves, because you've got to get them off their bum. 
you've got to get these people uh, and yeah. you've got to get right. these people engaged and doing something meaningful rather than uh, the ad hoc arrangements that are currently in place you know and I think the example I, I think uh, and a good example is what I did at Greensboro. Uh, if I haven't mentioned it earlier, is that I spoke to Lend Lease, who I dealt with and I, uh, for many, many years, and and they put them on with a little uniform, and there was about six or seven ex-coppers from uh, up at St Andrews, where I was living at the time, up in the hills, and they were helping ladies and gentlemen, elderly people, put their stuff in their boot and guiding them around the centre and whatever and, and I organised Hoyt's tickets for them and McDonald's vouchers and all that sort of stuff because they couldn't be paid um, so it was purely volunteer and, and the change in those people, not all of them but most of them was just amazing and uh, a lot of them went on to do other stuff and volunteer themselves so we need to take the next step with this sort of stuff that we're doing and not just sort of... Um, pat people on the head and say you're okay and, and provide some support for them, you know, like medical or psychological. We've got to do something practical. And so, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I agree with what you're saying about, um, with all due respect, getting people off their backsides because I think it's not their fault because they just don't have the, oh, I don't um, they the don't have the yeah, but yeah, but that their self doubt, their self belief, it's all lost. And you know, what am I good for? You know, a lot of people really struggle with that. I think we've spoken before about when you leave policing, you feel like um, you're not a, an oh, I don't know, an important member of community anymore. You feel like you're a, you're useless almost. And I think that's a great idea to get people off their backsides and just do something little. And that might just be the spark that they needed, you know, to do something else or continue on. Narelle, the mere fact that they put a suit and tie on or a quasi-uniform on, the change of their whole attitude is is immense because they suddenly, (laughs) you know, they've gone from being Sergeant Smith to nobody Mm. in their own mind. They're they're suddenly nobody. Yeah. So put a yeah. uniform on or put a, a, a suit and tie on and they uh, their whole attitude changes. So And that's what I'm saying. I'm not belittling what has been done currently. I'm just saying that we could do more and by amalgamating all of these organisations and attracting funding to one source rather than competing with each other, um, we're going to be better off. But anyway. Mm. Rob, um, what what's the... Why have the Department of Veteran Affairs, why have they got such a good support system in place? Uh, It's been going going for a lot longer. Yeah, I know. And why has that been going? And we're just almost like in the infancy of getting uh, uh, help for our veterans. I, I don't understand what, why they do what they do so well, and they've been doing it for so long. Well, look, there's a number of things. You know, firstly, with DVA, they have their gold and white cards for any um, um, any medical conditions that they have as a result of their service. And that I've got a gold card, so <clears throat> and um, I think I was very I was reluctant to get it. And it was only Jeff Francis who was in charge X forty. He was in charge of Veterans Affairs mm-hmm. investigations, and he pushed me for years. He said, "Rob," he said. 
you know, with what you've been through, and I, he's known me for many years, he said, I've seen the change in you. You need to get a gold card. So I did, and I actually got mine within about three months, which is unheard of because of my mm. background and what had happened to me. And mm. and That's in Cyprus, you mean? Yes, yeah, Cyprus, the UN yeah. in Cyprus, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's not available to um, frontline emergency services people, and I think it absolutely should be. Now, forget about... The funding, you know, I get a pension because I can't work. Um, I get a DVA service pension um, and I get looked after for all the medical things that I have with my medical situations or whatever. But And that's good. And it's been inv- totally invaluable. Um, and, you know, I went through a period there where I wasn't very well and I had uh, housekeeping. So once a week they'd come around and, uh, and vacuum the place because I couldn't because I had some other issues uh, from my service. But um, so it doesn't go far enough in that, in that regard um, and we could do that a lot better. But having said that, I still think that we can provide a lot of services to these people who, uh, the afflicted people, who, which doesn't cost a lot of money, but provides them with support. I mean, there's so many things out there. This, um, like even local government provide a lot of services like house cleaning, meals on wheels, and they're the sorts of things that should be investigated to take the matter further. But the other thing with DVA, <coughs> they actually, and I, I've got to be careful here, but they changed over to from our peer support operation, which was really fabulous, um, mm. to open an organisation called Open Arms. And oh, yes. Yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah. Yep. Well, I mean, it might have been in their infancy, but my dealings with them when they first took over um, was catastrophic and I wasn't the only one and I, yeah, I'll yeah, i leave it there. But uh, I hope that they improved. They probably have. But it mm. went from... It went from one situation to another. Let's leave it at that. Okay, okay. Um, because you're just saying then about the gold card and absolutely, deservedly, I think everybody that has um, uh, done similar work to you, particularly in the UN overseas with whatever it be, but and the fact that you've got a gold card, I don't understand why policing wouldn't get some sort of a gold card. I don't know, maybe a bronze one. Maybe you don't need gold. But just to help with the medical expenses because I know a lot of police that uh, really, really struggle Mm. uh, financially because of uh, the financial burden that it puts on you know, seeing having to see a, a psychologist like they're about I don't know two two eighty I think oh. something like that mm. per per session. That's a lot. Oh, mm. Look, the problem is a simple one: it's money, and the administration of a scheme like that would cost millions because it has to be administered. Now. Who administers it? You know, for example, you know, DVA has got the support of the whole of federal government and their funding capability, whereas if you're looking at emergency services, they don't have that. So that that's, that's the main barrier is money. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big problem. And look, it's hard to argue because it would cost a fortune. I'm just wondering also, just digressing a little bit, but with the, um, the DVA, the Department of Veteran Affairs, what sort of proof did you, ha- like, did you have to prove that you had um, a, a mental health issue or did they just take it on board when you said, look, I served in Cyprus, I, you know, 
I don't know what, like, did you have to? No, I, I used to drive to and from work blowing in and out of a brown paper bag because I was hyperventilating. I'm sorry, I was I was having panic attacks. I'd have 10 or 15 or 20 panic attacks a day and mm-hmm. I'd put on the mask, which we might talk about later. I'd put this mask on. I was fine. You know, I did I, – I, I mean, I was bad enough with the Cyprus and then the Russell Street bombing. You know, mm-hmm. I'd re- Relived everything again, and uh, and it was really I was really in a bad way, and I did early two months after the Russell Street bombing, and mm. two subjects at university, and I came third, and I reckon I was sleeping two hours a night, and I was having panic attacks all night, and I'd get up and go do it, and you know as I said, Jeff France rec- Jeff Francis recognised the change in me even when I got back from Cyprus, or later in the seventies and eighties. And look, my my condition was well documented. Plus, there was other thing I had. Um, I had facial scarring from a, a, an explosion in Cyprus, where sorry, in Cyprus where my Land Rover got um, got mortared, not not mortared, it got rocketed by an aeroplane and um, a jet. And I had facial scarring from that and stitches. And I had some skin conditions from over there because we were in open Land Rovers and and whatever. I had a fall. Pretty bad fall, where I ended up in Aquatiri Hospital with uh, two discs, disla- dislocated discs, and uh, quite a number of other things, and uh, and that was all documented, thank God. <laughs> and so, mm. with and during the war, one of the things I I don't ask me why, but I had a reel to reel tape, and I tape recorded. Um, much of the war for over a five-month period. There was periods there where you could actually hear us in the middle of, um, you know, for example, um, the Turks and the Greeks were firing from the front of our house to the back of our house down um, down the passageway at each other and we were lying on the floor trying to avoid the bullets and that's all on tape. And uh, we got mortared one day, and that's on tape, and and all of this stuff, and the, the all this stuff was recorded, and mm. I only needed a, a snippet of it. So uh, mm. being exposed to all that sort of stuff, no, I I was a walk up start. There's quite a lot of a uh, lot of veterans who uh, have great difficulty. Some of them have been applying for years to get a gold card. Um, one of the things that I think I influenced, I hope I influenced, was. Um, they in- introduced a, sc- a scheme two, three years ago where every person, every soldier or every uh, uh, every person who served overseas in, in whatever regard, Army, Army, Navy, Air Force, UN, whatever, as soon as they got off the plane on the boat when they got back here, got a white card for any uh, injuries or matters that they sustained during their period of service. So they mm. didn't have to apply for anything. They basically got it. If they had an existing condition which allowed them to get free medical uh, attention for any of those um, those injuries, um, straight away at no cost. And that mm. changed the whole landscape. It was really, really positive because they were suddenly getting looked after. So that changed about three years ago. And I wrote a lot of um, stuff off to the minister about that. And mm. I, not, I wasn't alone, but I think that helped change it. You know, you're making me think, Rob, that let's, um, unfortunately, let's talk about Burke Street for a minute because I'm thinking uh, I, I wasn't in the job when Burke Street happened. But You, you mean know, Russell Street? You mean Russell Street? No, no, Burke Street with, um, I don't want to say the name, but when the young man drove through Oh, the oh mall, gosh, oh, no, right? no, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. But, but I'm thinking to myself, 
I wonder why we can't, as um, emergency services, I'm not just talking about police, anyone that was there in a role in a, um, um, a role as an emergency service person, I wonder why they couldn't be given some sort of a card, you know, like a white card or some sort of a card to say this person has been involved in this incident, uh, you know, and I don't know, somebody pay, well, the government pay for it. Like, uh, that probably sounds simplistic, but that's, I think I've, oh, I think that's a good idea. Yes, it, it makes a lot of sense uh, because the current scenario is this. Uh, and I'll give you an example, something that happened five years ago now. There was a young policeman and he went to an accident where a father ran over his 18-month-old baby in the driveway. Mm-hmm. And he went back and he attended that matter and he went back to the police station and he got a phone call from the counselling service saying, and he was standing in the muster room with his mates, are you okay? And what do you think he's going to say? Mm. I'm yeah, fine. And uh, I think it's improved a lot since then, but it has to, but it doesn't end with a phone call or a counsellor coming out the scene and, yeah. and, and that's great and they sit mm. down and, yes. and, and yep. debrief them, that's fine. But that is just the start of the process and the, every policeman and policewoman is going to say, no, I'm fine because they wear this mask and we, we talk we talk about fight, flight and, fight and flight mm. and, I mean, it's just you're right and that's what's alleviated that problem for these veterans from overseas where they get a white mm. card and that they, they get off and they say, well, look, you know, I'm depressed or I've got this or I've hurt my back or I broke my arm. Mm. Well, here's a white mm. card. Go and get that treated. And, mm. and it's, mm. it's a very simple way of getting it done. So mm. they've got ongoing support and treatment. But also they, if you had a card to say that you had been involved in, uh, let's say, Burke Street or Russell Street, whatever it be, but if you had a card, then you would, like, I had to go through 12 months uh, and oh, as many psychiatrists and psychologists yeah. just to prove that I had been damaged by what I had been required to see or do or whatever. And if I would have had a card... Yeah to say, you know, Narelle's been involved in blah, 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 I wouldn't have had to prove to all those people. I think all they needed was one, all all Victoria Police or Work Cover wanted was one person to say she's fine and she can go back to work and nobody nobody did. (laughs) Um, But but I think that's why, uh, you know, I'm probably being a little bit um, uh, negative there. But, oh, Rob, I, I just... I, I think that's a, a brilliant idea. Well, and see, this is what you're ta- this is what you're talking about about getting all, uh, la- say, Lex Deman, who's with um, Police Legacy, Dave McGowan. This is what uh, to sit down and talk about these things because there's so many good ideas, isn't there? With all of these people, yeah, they get lost. They get lost in the ether, and. 
Yeah, look, yeah. I went to work cover a few years ago. I was doing a lot of investigation work and and dealing with a lot of police on work cover and whatever and have a look at the situation now. And this is why I'm telling you the story because I went to work cover and saw their basically their CFO. And I sat down and to his credit, he sat down and listened to me. I said, look, I know what you do. You invest, you're investing a lot of money and trying to prove that there's nothing wrong with people. I said, why don't you invest all that money at the front end of things and get them right before it turns into a fish shit fight? And he said, that's, that's, that's not our philosophy. That's not how we work. And I said, well, it effing well should be. Uh, and that's what I'm talking about. We should be proactive about these things at the front end. Look, we've got 800 or something off work, on work cover at the moment. And what are we doing about it? Well, we just keep throwing money at it uh, and not really. And look, I'm sure they're getting treated and all that sort of stuff. But as you say, to prove, I remember that I, I had to front up to one of those uh, those forums and I had a, psychiatrist, a doctor, a psychiatrist and a psychologist and they had my file in front of them. And it was a work cover matter. And and they said, now, uh, uh, Mr. Bailey, what day did this bomb bombing take place? And I looked at him and I said, you've got my whole file in front of me. I said, if this is, a, if this is an inquisition, which one of you pricks have ever had a panic attack? And I just looked at him and the doctor actually looked at me and his two mates and he said, I think you can go in there, Mr. Bailey. <laughs> I made my point. Um, yeah. And, yeah. I, and yeah. I've attended a lot of these work cover sessions with affected people, not so much in the last three years, but certainly before that. And I've mm. had I've had some of these psychologists uh, from work cover and psychiatrists wouldn't let me go into the room with them, with the, with the affected person. Mm. Um, <laughs> so what you've, what you've got there is you've got, a barrier and if you're going to be successful in anything you've got to remove barriers and one of the big barriers is people have got to prove that they're 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 so sick that they can't work when it's bloody obvious that they can't and very few people are going to play the system very very few a very small percentage of people will actually play up to it particularly police and emergency services people because they want to work yeah (laughs) yeah you're right that's all I wanted to do was get back. Yeah. You know, there's just so many um, things that need to need to change uh, with veterans. But like, I've got a really dear friend who was in the job for 42 years, yes. and and on the day that he retired, he just left left work as normal. No fanfare, no nothing. All right, the secretary might have given him a cup of tea, but it was he was just after forty two years, and a few months later he received a letter in the mail <laughs> with his clasps and a couple of medals, and that was it. I could not believe it. Like the only ones that seemed uh, seemed to celebrate or recognise the commitment we make, uh, you know, as police to the community, is as we've talked about the police association and their yearly retirement dinner. Um, yeah. Fantastic, but I don't know of any other organisation or company who would treat a long-serving employee like Vic Poldu with a letter. I mean, really? Yeah. Well, I I challenged. Um Chief Commissioner Patton on Neil Mitchell's show and rang up and, and broached that subject and I said, well, you know, what are you doing exit interviews? And he said, yes, every person that leaves the Victoria Police gets an exit interview. And I did my homework. I'd, really? I'd already done my homework on that and I actually put it on my uh, on a web page, a relevant mm. web page, and I got over 100 responses within a day saying what a lot of bullshit 
and mm. and mm. one out of every twenty said, "Yeah, well, my super came over," and uh, who and usually they had a a good relationship with those people and and took me out for a beer or a cup of tea, mm. but it'd be one mm. in twenty. It just doesn't happen. And I'm in an exit interview, and they have always been treated treated with disdain, and they're not going to listen. But you need to have a structured exit interview, not oh, how you going? You know, what do you think of the job? It's got to be structured so you can you can actually elicit from that information the the, the base information that's relevant because you're going to get a lot of emotional stuff. Well, that's that's what you're going to expect emotional stuff. What you need. Is, is data, is real data, and you may not have 800 people on work cover at the moment. Mm. Yeah, and I just think with an exit interview, um, I haven't heard of them doing it, but then I haven't been in VicPol for quite a while now, but I think um, a, an exit interview would show Victoria Police or would help them in establishing where they're going wrong and why so many people are on work cover, why so many are sick, uh, why they're leaving. Yes. Like, and I understand what you're saying. It would be a very emotional interview, but, you know, it's a difficult conversation for the police. Let's. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. 
you know, like the people that are leaving, um, you know, yeah, some of them are bitter and twisted, but I think some of them could give some really insightful ideas on how to stop this exodus that seems to be happening with uh, Victoria Police. I mean, and I don't think it's just Victoria. I believe Queensland are in the same boat. So are Northern Territory. I mean, it's happening everywhere. But the more we have a conversation about what's going wrong, the more surely that people are going to listen and think, well, I think we've got to do more. Like, for instance, I believe that out at the academy, I believe we should actually have um, a subject on uh, psychological damage or, or psychology, let's say, yeah. and not just and taking nothing away from people like yourself, like me, who go out there and talk to uh, the recruits or whoever about, you know, what the job has done and how to look after your mental health. But it should be a subject matter like theft or like sex offences where you learn about the signs, what might happen, how to deal with it, what to do if you're starting to feel like, let's say, a, a panic attack, let's say. Um, I, know, I remember the only one I ever had, I thought I was going to die. The fact that you said you're having 12 a day, that just does my head in. But if you knew, and I believe, if I knew what the signs were, I think uh, before, you know, I actually fell over, um, uh, psychologically, you know, I could I could still be there. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you hit the nail on the head at the academy. They do do psychological training, but um, I've already put a report. I put a number of reports in over the years and said, well, people like me and you should be over- introduced to the recruits and say, look, it's all not a bed of roses, but you, but you've got to extend it not just to the recruits, but to their family and their close friends. They are the ones that are going to identify the change in people before the person who's affected will either recognise it and or admit it. And they need to make an undertaking that when they see that the person's going downhill, that they provide the circuit breaker to get them some help. And what happens now is that the recruit, they, we all did, we all put masks on and, and pretended we were okay when we weren't. Um, and the people at home are the first people that are going to recognise the change at the at its infancy. And that's when it's got, you've got to have that circuit breaker and, and the treatment. So... It's got to be taken further than just talking to uh, the recruits. It's got to it's got to involve the families and friends. Yeah, good point. Hey, um, you've just you just reminded me of something sort of half amusing, um, and I, you know you're funny. It's how could you find something funny out of um blowing into a paper a brown paper bag <laughs> what you were talking about before but you know what's it's reminded me of something i used to get these really bad t- um, migraines and toothaches and i think it was to do with my ptsd but doesn't matter whatever it was of course it was but my but my mother-in-law she was a DVA. Uh, she used to get a, a very, very healthy pension because um, uh, he, her husband, uh, was uh, a Vietnam, not a Vietnam vet, a World War Two vet. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But when I used to have these toothaches and toothaches and these um, migraines, she'd say to me, "Go and get a brown paper bag." <laughs> yeah, and light a, um, a match or something and 
put it in the brown paper bag and then uh, obviously blow it out and then breathe in, put your head in the paper bag and breathe in. Anyway, the bottom line is, you know what, Rob? I reckon it worked. Yeah. Every single time, and like I hate to think what somebody would have done if they'd come into the toilet and yeah. seen me sniffing a brown paper bag. But did it work with you? Oh yeah, I mean, because what what actually happens is and yeah, and what happens? Why does that work? Well, if you have a panic attack, what happens is you think you're dying, and in all things, you, your brain goes funny, everything goes really funny, and and yeah. as a result of that, you panic and you can't help it. And you hyperventilate. And when you hyperventilate, you pass out. And when you pass out, you'll actually be okay. You'll wake up okay. But when you hyperventilate, you'll, um, you'll, you'll, um, you'll fall over and you'll hurt yourself. And, mm. and once you start having these panic attacks, they'll pursue you. And what happened with me with Cyprus and all that sort of stuff and reignited by the Russell Street bombing is you build up this defence to all of that sort of stuff and when it's going to hit you is when that you're not when my adrenaline was going oh it's fine but mm-hmm. my subconscious mm-hmm. said to me when I was going to sleep at night time or if I'm driving my car listening to the radio you're not safe you're not safe um, you're too relaxed you're not allowed to be relaxed you need adrenaline running you need to be in danger and I'd have a panic attack and they're horrible um, I still have them but very sporadic now and I know when one's coming on and I manage it uh, there's mm. certain techniques that that I I know very well now, and and I can manage it. So, uh, yeah, the brown paper bag certainly worked because of what it does is you're actually sucking in oxygen, um, uh, um, carbon dioxide rather than oxygen. So yeah. you stop the yeah. hyperventilating. Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's an amazing. I used to think she was mad, <laughs> uh, with all due respect to her, um, but. Yeah, as I said, worked funny. Um, hey, we were talking. Oh, and just while we're on, you've mentioned Russell Street bombing a couple of times, and in the previous, uh, in our previous podcast uh, last week, um, I just thought I'd better mention that uh, just for the listeners that uh, Rob has talked. Uh, to Emily and uh, Michelle from the Australian True Crime. He's done a whole podcast on Russell Street. Um, it is worth listening to, uh, but I wouldn't, uh, I don't want to cut their grass and um, they've been very good to me. But if anybody wants to hear about Rob's um, oh, terrible time at um, at Russell Street, it's worth a listen. And what was it called, Rob? The the actual episode was, it was number 98 or something. What was it called? It's called The Day They Blew Up a Police Station. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it yeah, talks so, a lot about the underworld at that time as well, which is that which they found pretty interesting, and it was. It was pretty interesting because at that time there was an underworld war going on and there was a war between police and, and mm. you know, and there was police shootings. There was a whole range of things that, uh, that all intertwined, and the public wouldn't know how they were intertwined, but they were. Oh, yeah. Were they ever? Mm. Yeah. Hey, we talked uh, before too about your time in charge of audiovisual and where you viewed over 2,000 child abuse videos and pictures. Um, But you're also exposed to an enormous amount of deceased persons. In fact, did I recall the figure correctly that there are over 126? Yes, that was. uh, Bodies that you viewed or, uh, uh, sorry, um, videotaped for audiovisual? Like, my my point is you can't do that sort of thing without being affected, can you? No, well, I mean, um, I went out with the troops and I, without going into any detail, but I thought if 
they're going out and I was the boss there because I was actually sent there by Assistant Commissioner um, Brown who um, asked me because the place, <laughs> there was, I think there was 58 people there and they had three social clubs and, and um, he thought that that indicated there was an issue and there was. It was horrible. They were all over the shop. So he sent me down there. I just finished doing the trim project, which is the recording uh, of yep. interviews. And I went down there and and um, tight, I did tidy it up. They were terrific when I got them together. And I, I put a lot of work into – and one of the things that I did, I used to go out with them. If they got called out, I went. Back in those days, it was a pager. They'd get paged and I'd go. And um, I'd, I'd carry the, 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 the floodlight or the – some of the camera equipment or whatever and put the gum boots on and go through the scenes. Now, it wasn't just homicides. It was all manner of things like fatal accidents. They used to they used to videotape and whatever. So there was 126, according to my diary, or my diary notes. There was 126 deceased bodies or mutilated bodies, and some of them were still alive, but they were mutilated. And, mm-hmm. um, and certainly it, it does have an effect. And, and one, of, one of the interesting things that I did when I was at Audiovisual I mean, Channel 9, I, I bought them a, an editing suite that Channel 9 came and used, and I had um, Double ID or the Internal Investigations in those days came and interviewed me and said, well, you know, you spent, I think it was $100,000 on that and you didn't get authorisation. And I go and, mm. and I just said, well, go and ask Assistant Commissioner Brown because he, Gavin Brown, who was, he was a Cypress vet, I said, go and speak to Gavin Brown because he told me to go and fix the place and I am, so I get out. So mm. I never heard any more about that one. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I had the place painted green, light green, because it, you know it was uh, it's a much more relaxed environment. So I had the whole place painted, and I bought all this yeah. equipment and and whatever. But one of the things I did, which is interesting, they used to also, and I'd go uh, if they had a fire, an arson, or a suspected arson, they'd go there and they'd videotape it. And I, I distinctly remember, and I went out with them once, and I got them back to the office, and I think it was John Green, and uh, who was one of the bosses, he was a sergeant, he was terrific, and uh, Van England, I can't think of his other name, Casey Van England, and they were fantastic operators, they were really good. And, yeah. and I sat them down, and I said, why are we videotaping the fire? I want you to videotape the crowd. Because Absolutely. the offender will be there. <laughs> anyway, yep. so we tidied up quite a lot of stuff there. And, then, yeah, so it's very interesting. And I, and I also – listen to this. This is, this is just so stupid. Uh, I also initiated with uh, the MCG when we had a lot of crowd behaviour problems and we'd have coppers all over the place. I said, no, what we should do is we go up the top of the scoreboard and I'll have two or three cameras going and we'll put uh, half a dozen police in groups around at strategic positions and we'll pick out where the problem is, we'll videotape it and we'll, we'll say to this group, right, squad number one or detail number one, go to bay 10, level Two and uh, seats number 12, 13, and 14, arrest them. We have the evidence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean, it was that efficient. It was unbelievable. Now, why don't they do that now? Yeah, I don't know. Well, they've got that many bloody cameras, Rob. Like, I don't know. Yeah, but I don't know what the, yeah, yeah. What happens now is they don't, they're not using them to their advantage in where the trouble spots are. People have got to ring up on a on a, a mobile number yeah. and say, look, I've got a problem. Where are you? Whatever. Whereas we've already got – we don't have to prove it. We've got the evidence. It's on yeah, tape. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, my yeah, God. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. so simple. Don't get me started, Narelle, because there's quite a few things that we can oh, – 
feel like I, I feel like I have got you started, but but then again, I got started too, you know, with the the cards and all that sort of stuff. So uh, the two of us just get, you know, it's easy to get started. Hey, just going back to your exposure to those child abuse videos uh, and all these deceased bodies and mutilated bodies. Um, the exposure was horrendous, uh, and in in my day. Uh, you know, the same thing happened with me. I wasn't at um, audiovisual, but I certainly was exposed to a lot of child abuse material. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know how they manage that exposure to members now? Because certainly the murders haven't decreased. Do you know if they've changed the number of exposures? And I believe they might have. That members um, now are exposed to like traumatic scenes uh, and child abuse. Do you know if they're what that arrangement is, because I believe it's just a, a percentage now that they have to view. Um, I don't know, but when, I mean, I was involved in it, apart from the audiovisual, I think there was, I had the police paddock murders and obviously Russell Street and several others where um, I was actually the, part of the investigation team where there was dead bodies and there was nothing like that then. Um mm-hmm. You just did it. The thing is, Narelle, you apart from the odd one, and I mean, I had some a couple of horrific ones involving children. Um, you you basically um, you have black humour, and you also switch off a bit. And I think I in our original interview, I think I told about I spoke about the triple fatal on the. Tullamarine Freeway, where I had to mm. go and find my friend who was with me, Peter Waitson, um, and ask him what we saw because I had compartmentalised it. I had tucked it away somewhere and it always troubled me. I knew it, we did it, but I didn't know the detail. And he told me and, and we, you know, there was, I think there was actually four dead and, the, and three of them were children. And, and he told me, and I hope the audience, I'm sure you warned them at the start, but we were matching... Uh, kids' heads to bodies because most of them, because the collision was 200 kilometres an hour when you aggregate it and there was nothing left. And, and we're, you know, we, you know, Peter said, you know, I remember you coming up to me and you had a child's part of his body or her body wrapped up in mm. newspapers saying, which one does this belong to? Um, mm. And there was no counselling. I didn't receive any counselling after that. No one said anything. There was nothing happening. I'm sure they do it a lot better now. Oh, they'd have to, and I am sure they they do too, Rob, but it still needs a a lot of work, and that's where that card system would come in, wouldn't it? Yeah, well. Here's a a card to say this man has been involved in a horrific incident. Just treat him, give him what he needs. Yeah, look, that's right, and I mean you you get handed the card and part of that is an appointment to go and see a psychologist or a psychiatrist or both Mm. and look, you know, within the next week you need some uh, professional counselling and they have professional counsellors now and they have, look, that Mm. I don't want to go into it, but that's another thing that I organise because police wouldn't go, one of the things they've got on, and I hope it's not there anymore, but it was and I tried to significantly change it is on your promotion material it's got a section there with reaction to stress and it's either good or poor if it's poor you never get promoted you never ever get promoted so people are not um, um, not prepared to to 
put it on the table that they've actually been affected by something. There's no incentive. And why, and why would you? No, why would you? Well, there's no yeah. incentive or there was not any incentive to actually uh, expose the fact that you have been affected by something and you were seen as weak, all of this sort of stuff. And, I mean, I'm, look, I, I'm sure it's changed and I hope it has. But uh, back in those days, I mean, I, my reaction to stress in all of my reports were the harder it gets this officer, the better he gets. Well, I was one of the worst PTSD persons in the police force at that time, or you know, really bad anyway, and mm. it didn't show. They would never have known. Now, if they knew, do you reckon I'd get promoted, rapid promotion I had? No way. No, no way. No, no way. way. No. 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 You know, yeah, I'm just thinking now about um, – I'm pretty sure that you'd be the same as the majority of us who leave for whatever reason because in the job, the more serious the incident, I don't know about you, but the more I wanted to be there because I believed that I could handle it Um, and that feeling has never gone. Even on retirement, if something happens and it has a couple of times, I am drawn to running towards the incident rather than running away Um, and I believe... uh, I believe um, that you're possibly the same because wasn't there a saying at some point that if shit happens, Bailey will be in the vicinity because that happened to me as well. Um, But there was an incident just, I don't know how long ago with you, where you didn't walk away. You actually went and did something on a tram, didn't you? It was a train and and – uh, it gets back to fight, flight and fight and flight, and I mean, I was in the military for seven years part time, but I did a lot of full time duty, and I was never taught flight ever. The Victoria Police, I was never taught flight ever. Now, what they do now is they actually teach a lot of flight, get out of there, and I've seen some horrendous situations where I didn't think they should have got out of there, but um, yeah, no, no, this was only five years, four or five years ago and I was on a train and this this guy pulled a knife on a, an Indian, young Indian boy who was going to slit his throat, well, I mean, this guy was six foot two with tattoos in his nostrils and, and all that sort of stuff and uh, obviously affected, I'd say, but I'm, I, I, I went straight to it, disarmed him. And, and actually, I was talking to the guy that uh, yesterday. I was talking to the policeman. He's now an ex-policeman who charged him. And uh, oh, yeah. yeah, so we had the, they had the CCTV, and I went to the Ringwood Police Station and reported it, and they found the CCTV and charged this guy. But I mean, yeah. most members of the public have changed carriages, or <laughs> 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 their all their underwear. <laughs> I think, uh, oh, there's so much I would like to talk to you about. But I think what about if we end on a good note? And I was wondering, or a a positive note, can you leave us with an investigation that you're really proud of, one that's never left you for whatever reason because there's a lot of good things that police do? It's You know, like it, it's not all the bad stuff. You know, we've talked a lot about uh, mental health today, but, you know, just to digress a bit because I remember one night and they, they're just these would happen all the time with police, but I remember a job where I helped a woman and her three children escape her violent husband. Mm. And because there was no refuge um, around to take her, the four of us slept on the police station floor that night. I'll never forget it, the three kids and us two, mum and me. And I didn't sleep well at all. 
but she told me it was the best sleep she'd had in years. Mm, felt safe. And I just, you know, that's right. And I just think there's so many good stories out there. Um, so that's a very long introduction. Uh, tell us about an investigation that you're really proud of. I'm not sure if I mentioned in the earlier podcast about the uh, John Antoniatis who uh, was um, ripped hundreds of thousands of dollars off people who were going to adopt children. Um, he was a real estate agent at Heidelberg and oh. Oh. we charged yeah. him. Now, it sounds like it's not a good ending, but these poor people who had invested so much money and was going nowhere um, – mm. I was able to give them closure in the end. He went to prison for quite a long time. But I remained – see, this is the thing now which is difficult for police to do is often – and you might have been the same. I've stayed in touch or I've stayed in touch with a lot of people after an investigation. Now, a lot of the homicide boys did it um, yep. with the, the affected members of the community and gave them support well and truly after the – closure, if you like, the official closure, and I did that yep. with these people, and they were terrific, and I, I went to great lengths to introduce them to the Department of Foreign Affairs and, and uh, the local member and whatever, because they were genuinely trying to adopt a child, and um, back in those days, I think it was actually from Fiji, but don't quote me on that, no, I just quoted myself, mm. but, but, <laughs> but, yeah. but um, so I didn't just let it go at charging him and say, well, bad luck, you lost your money, well, they never got their money back, but they got an avenue to pursue to to actually do something that they set out to do. So that gave me a lot, of, and I don't know if they. I think one of them actually succeeded in about took them about twelve months, but at least I gave them some hope at the end of it, and I got a lot of satisfaction out. And they were just beautiful people because they want they couldn't have children and they wanted to adopt a child. And I mean, how sad is that? And you get some bloody leech of in society that just rips their money off and it's shocking. So that that was good. But look, there was plenty of others where, you know, you, you've done a good job, you know you've done a good job and people thank you, you know, um, for doing it and that's what you work for. But, uh, but, Rob, but Rob, just going back to that um, leech, I'm not sure how I could, how there is somebody in this world that could be so cruel to take money from people, promising them, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong here, but so he promised them that he would um, find them a child to adopt overseas and they paid him money for that. So yeah. is that right? Yeah, but the subterfuge was that he produced all these false documents from the Department of Immigration, all that sort of stuff. It was he knew people in the immigration and if he'd pay money under the table and all that sort of that stuff. So these poor innocent people got um, got caught up in the subterfuge and, and lost their money and never got a child. So, yeah, pretty terrible stuff. But, you know. Oh, Rob, I just can't get my that, – that is just so sad. It could almost, you know, make me cry that – that there is somebody in this world that would, um, what's that word, piggyback somebody's just trauma of not being able to have children and take advantage of that mm. and take their money. Yeah, and terrible. With, and and, these, and these, these poor people think that they're going to adopt a child, like just such a beautiful story, and then they find out that it's false. I, I just... 
oh, my God, how could you deal with that? Well, the, 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 I had some closure out of it as well. I was actually talking to Steve O'Neill who did the arrest with me. We talk every week, Steve and I, and, um, yeah. and I, I reminded him, I said, uh, if you recall, um, oh, no, it wasn't Steve, sorry. I think it was, uh, it was either Mark Cooch or Kevin Salmon. Well, but I mentioned it to Steve and he knew the story. But this John, John Antoniatis was uh, was – perceptively a, 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 um, a well-thought-of member of community. I remember him saying to me, I said, well, at some stage or other, I'll, I'm, I'm going to arrest you and uh, you will be charged with this, uh, but I needed to do some more work. So anyway, he said, well, whatever you do. He lived in this uh, area in Heidelberg, which, you know, block of flats, but, you know, pretty high-quality stuff. And he said, you know, can you either give me a call and I'll come down or whatever anyway? I said, yeah, no worries. Anyway, two divisional vans, lights and bells, handcuffs and guns. <laughs> oh, Rob. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, yeah. oh, and if I could have got yeah. the soggies out, I would have done that as well and kicked the bell, but they weren't available. <laughs> Oh, that's yeah, you're right. Can you imagine oh. doing that? Though? You'd get a, you'd get sued. You'd be on Channel Nine. You'd be on a current affair. Oh my God! I mean, I just when he was he came back to the station, I said, "Look, I'm sorry, mate. I couldn't stop the troops. I told them the story, and they hate you." <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's pretty simple. <laughs> hey, and and Rob, what sort of money uh, was he taking from these um, poor people? Oh, look, it was. I haven't got my diary in front of me, but I think it was a total of about two hundred and seventy thousand in the end. And you're talking nineteen, well, nineteen eighties. Per, per, per person? No, 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 totally. No, oh, right. no, probably okay. around the forty thousand dollars each. Oh, that would have been their life savings. Oh yeah, it was in some circumstances they'd sold uh, a lot of property or they'd sold property and they were renting and oh yeah, it was it was horrific. It was horrible. Anyway, and uh, yeah, he, he he ended up going to prison. Oh, so he, pardon me, so he. Oh, no, what did he do? Yeah. What did he do, Rob? How, how many? I think we, I think he got he nine get? years and did seven, but I, I'm not sure if I told you that the, the, I also had some more closure at the uh, at the Supreme Court when uh, the hearing was on. I'd, I'd I'd come back from doing <laughs> I'd come back from doing something, and I and I went up uh, the second or third floor in the Supreme Court, and he was outside the court, lying on the floor, and I think it was, I think it was Bob Galbill who was defending him. And uh, sorry, Bob. And um, and he was on the floor, and the instructing lawyer was there. And I said, "What happened?" And and Bob said uh, uh, he he had an attack in there and passed out, so we brought him out, and he collapsed on the floor. And I said mm. to uh, the other cop that was there, "I said, did you knew him in the guts on the way down?" <laughs> <laughs> I would have thought somewhere else rather than the guts oh, might yeah, have no, been. No, no, well, the instructing solicitor, female, said to me, you can't say that, I'm going in to tell you the judge. And I said, well, hang on for a second, I'm going to stomp on his head first. <laughs> oh, dear. Hey, listen, Rob, uh, thank you so much for sharing so many stories. And you know what? You've got a million more. Um, but thank you so much for, you know, what you've done Um would you come back and tell us some more at some oh, yeah, point? Look, because it's, it's, I, I've got a feeling there's a, a fair few podcasts we could do on your stories. Oh, there's, there's <laughs> plenty, but uh, look, it's it's fun. I reckon you've got to get the stories out there. So, and what it does, it, it's really good for the community. A lot of coppers will probably listen to this, but it, they, a lot yeah. of the community, you know, they they you know they get 
not hung up, but I mean, uh, a lot of the homicide guys are doing podcasts now, and, and I listen to some of them. I reckon they're great, but yeah, yeah. Th- there's other sides to policing. The fraud side of things, you know, I, I used to say, defrauding these people over in Heidelberg of all that sums of money to get a child is worse than doing an armed hold up. Oh yeah. The, oh, the yeah, that, that term, takes the cake to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the long-term effect on those people is, uh, I mean, in a bank, I tell you, it's not their money that's getting stolen, and, of course, it's terrifying mm. for them, but these mm. people have not only got what they want, but they basically had a gun hold, held at their head, and uh, and it's a lifelong experience for them. So it, it never goes, never ever goes away. Whereas the par- passage of time with someone involved in a bank or TAB holdup, which thankfully we don't, we used to get one a day back in the day in the robbers. Uh, thankfully, yeah. it doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, but also, Rob, um, and again, I don't want to bring the conversation down, but you talk about the effect on these poor people. But what about as you, as an investigator, I can tell you now, if I was involved in that job. Um, it would have just about killed me, like just the sadness. And obviously, you know, you can hear in your voice, it, it's, I mean, but how could that not affect any human being with any form, any emotion whatsoever? I cannot imagine being an investigator and how that would have affected me. Uh, well, I know. Narelle, mm-hmm. if you're worried about things like that and if you let that get to you, you'd, ne- you'd never do the stuff that, you know, you know, just about every police person that's listening to this, my stories would say, oh, i got all these stories as well. Well, I'll relate them. But um, yeah. you, you, you couldn't do your yeah. job if you let it affect you. And I had, you know, like you, I had lots of rapes and I had, uh, you know, kids who had been affected for different reasons and assaults and all that sort of stuff. And I had the first female... Uh, I charged I charged her with rape and that was horrific and people think it's funny that had more effect on me than a lot of the other stuff that I did this female teacher in Heidelberg raped a young boy a 12 year old boy and I mean people mm. you know my mate used to say oh that'd be fun it wasn't fun I nearly threw up it was disgusting so but yeah. if you let it get to you long term you'd never go back to work yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> it did get to me long term and I never did, ever did go back to work. Yeah, well. But you know what? But you know what? Sliding door moments, Rob. Yes. You never know what's around the corner. No. And look at me now, you know, and now I can talk about these things and, no, of course, they're all very sad, but I don't actually, I'm not exposed to them anymore and it makes a big difference that I can hear the stories, I can feel sad, but I'm not actually there, you know, like talking to those people and consoling them and, you know, oh, it's a, it makes a big difference, a big difference. Well, anyway. What, 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 what we've done, Narelle, is all those poor people out there, lovely, lovely people who work for genuine, genuine good workers mm. that go and do their accounting job or data entry mm. or whatever, they're not going to believe half of this. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You are so right. Anyway, listen, we'll have you back, but thanks, Rob. Um, All the best. Yeah, I I love what you do. Thank you for on behalf of the veterans too and me. And you. Thanks. As you've probably noticed, we've moved to a new platform called ACAST. I think that's the right expression, I've got no idea. And my previous reviews haven't transferred over. I need reviews. <laughs> Could you do me a favour and put up a review? And thank you so much for your support and patronage. With your help, I can give you that little bit extra. 
Thanks. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.